Let's pray together. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you are the God of peace. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who brought us near to a holy God is through the cross. The blood that was shed for us is the righteousness of Christ. And that is why we are here. We're able to enter your holy throne, oh God. So God, we enter your place right now with humility. I ask against every attack of the enemy, every spirit of distraction, God, we bind it in the name of Jesus. We ask God for your spirit to be here in our midst. We invite your Holy Spirit to come. We invite you, we usher your presence, God, into our hearts, oh God, into this place, oh God, so that your name may be glorified, so that, God, that our feelings will not triumph over our worship and our choice to submit to you, God. But, Lord, may we choose today to worship you in spirit and truth. Let us not be sidetracked or digress or go in a different direction. God, being led by our emotions, let us not be led by our hearts, but let us lead our hearts today to lift up our hands and worship and to give you all the praise that you deserve. So God, I pray as you transition now, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts for all those who are listening here today, Lord, may be pleasing in your sight, may be holy in your sight, oh God, not because of our acts or because of our deeds, but because of the cross, because of the cross, because of the cross, oh God, we could stand righteous. It's the righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed upon us, and that is why we are here today. So God, speak to us, God, for we are hungry and we are desperate to hear your voice. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. Uh, so I'll take our seat. Um, just want to share something in my heart before I go ahead and get into the message. Um, if you can all turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 2. Okay, let's go to verse uh, 23, starting from verse 23. I'm going to read until verse 28. Uh, the focus is verse 28, but let's start from verse 23. I'm sure in your Bible the title says, Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, uh, let's begin. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you, ever ne have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry 
and in need. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And it says in verse 27, Then he said to them, Sabbath was made for men and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let us not get confused of why we come to church. Again, when it says here, the Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath, we're not here to do a checklist. Uh, we're not here to allow our frustrations and the distractions of life to be our God. But we are here because God has given us this day, Sabbath, the Sunday that God has given us, the day of worship he has given us. He has given it to us because it's his gift, because it's out of his generosity. And it is very important for us to not get lost in the works or in doing everything perfectly. But we are here out of the joy of our hearts because God has given it to us. We cannot be like the Pharisees where it's all about the law, but it's about really submitting to God and submitting our hearts to God and allowing our hearts to be at peace. Again, the Sabbath was given to you, Ronnie, as a gift. It was given to you, Arlene. It's not something that for us to be frustrated, we wake up early in the morning and we think, oh man, I need to go ahead and do this again. If we ever find ourselves in that place, uh, we need to really check our hearts. Uh, you need to remember how important this day is. Uh, it's the day that God has given a gift for us so that we can enjoy, uh, so that we can have peace and we could have joy and we can laugh and we're not frustrated, not in a place where we're distracted. And with that, um, I just want to share something, uh, something that's been on my mind, uh, especially today. Um, you know, as a church, you know, we've been through a lot of ups and downs. And I think it's very important for us to re be reminded that um, the importance of being genuine and being honest before God and with each other. And, you know, you guys expect, it's, it's like pretty much given uh, that I'm going to be consistent. Uh, because over the years, you know, I've been consistent and at times when members, as members, you guys can go up and down, up and down, and that's okay. But there comes a point where uh, we reach a place of stunt, where we stunt ourselves and we are no longer growing. And a lot of times I feel that you guys have this expectation of me being consistent and you know, Rev will never give up, Rev will never quit, and Rev will, but you know, as much as you guys go through ups and downs, I have my ups and downs, uh, and I fight my battles every single day. And it's an important reminder that, and you know, God has been really speaking to me lately uh, about how far am I willing to go for you guys and for a member. And the Bible teaches that you know, a good shepherd will go and lay down his life for his sheep. Before you were young, now you guys are older, you're all mature now. You guys are all young adults, you guys all have jobs now, and you guys are getting to a place where you're reaching that next level of your walk, you know, in your life, in your maturity. And, you know, you have to think of it like this. You know, if I'm a lifeguard, 
or if you're a lifeguard, I don't know if you guys ever been in a position where you were you almost drowned or you had to help someone who was drowning. But if you ever go swimming and if you're a lifeguard, you know, and they teach you this as a lifeguard, when someone is drowning, you go and you try to help them, right? You go and you try to help them, you you want to help them and that's you want that person to live. But if that person is screaming and wilding out, uh, they're pushing you down, you try to get near them and they push you down and you know, they're grabbing hold onto you, you're telling them, you're screaming, you tell them over and over again, look, you need to calm down, you need to stop doing what you're doing, stop doing it, stop doing it, stop doing it, but they keep on doing it and they teach you to literally, the victim who's about to drown, to, you have to push yourself away from them and then you need to communicate with them and if they can't, then you have to continue to try, but if they keep trying to drag you, and, and you have to be able to push them away. And you may think, wow, that's kind of cruel. Why would you push them away? But for both of you to die, and for you to be able to bring the other person down, you know, I want to just remind you guys the importance of your emotion, the importance of your presence. Um, you have so much power in your ability to build up church, to edify the body, or to break down the body. And I want to I remind you guys, let's just stop repeating uh, the same things over and over. Uh, let's really take uh, these warnings, uh, the discipline that God gives us, uh, let's take it very seriously. And again, it's not for us to be frustrated. It's not for us to follow a checklist. But it's for us to really know that this is a gift that God has given us. Life is the greatest gift that God has given us. And through this life, uh, out of the joy, the rejoicing of our hearts, uh, let's just really give our best in the way that we handle ourselves and the way that we uh, lead each other, right? The way we stay accountable to each other. Uh, another analogy is, you know, you're, I'm going inside a cave, and you guys, a lot of times, you guys go inside a cave, a dark cave. You know, you go in a place of your emotion. There are times where you guys don't even pick up your calls, and you try to hide behind your excuses. And, and you know, and there are times where I had to go into that dark cave, right? And I had to go in, and uh, as I'm going in, you know, if I go in too far, too deep, I'm going to find myself in a place where I'm going to get lost. And I'm going to be the one shouting out and screaming for help because I'll be far gone as well. So before we get too far too in a place where of no return, uh, let's just be reminded to really check ourselves because it's all about individual responsibility. You know, I can only do so much for you. A person, a friend, no one else can live this life for you. You're responsible for your decisions. You're responsible for your emotions. You're responsible for your faith. No one else can have faith on your behalf. When we stand before God, we cannot hide behind our, our mother and our fathers or our family, our pastor's faith. We stand alone before a holy and almighty God. Therefore, let us not forget what today is all about. Uh, let us not get lost in our emotions. Uh, let us not continue repeating uh, our old habits. 
Uh, but let us really look to God and be transformed today. And, and most importantly, uh, let us have joy today. You know, this isn't where I'm bringing this up to stress you guys out. I'm not here to, you know, I like when atmosphere is relaxed. You know, I like when things are good. You know, but you have to understand, you know, there are times over the years when you saw me being strong. You know, there was, everything had a reason. You know, and I was very honest with you guys and what I was going through, what I was feeling. And now I'm at a place where, you know, I really want to move forward. I really want our church to grow. Uh, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about you as an individual, us as a church, uh, just to be emotionally healthy, you know, emotionally mature, you know, not repeating the same things, going back to the same old cycle, because eventually you will look back and I might not even be there. You know, don't expect. You have to really take ownership of yourself. You need to take ownership of your faith. Even when the world ends, even if you're the only one standing before God, and you're the only one out of your friends following God, you have to follow him no matter what. No matter what. You take ownership of your life. You take ownership of your decisions. And you stay faithful to God. Again, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It was a gift to us, and most importantly, a reminder to us is that God, Jesus Christ, is the Lord of everything. So today, while we're here, let us not allow our emotions to dictate our Sabbath. Let us not allow our distractions and our feelings dictate our worship to God. But let us remember who the Lord is, who the King is. It is not anyone here. It is not me. Just because I'm standing here, it's not any one of us. It is Jesus Christ that we are here to worship. Let us worship Him. Let us look to Him. Let us humble ourselves today and be ready to encounter and to really worship the living God. Amen? Okay, with that, uh, let's continue on with our message. We are continuing on in the Authentic Christian Christianity series. And the title of today's message is, When Anger Comes, Sin Not. When Anger Comes, Sin Not. Amen. Let us continue on with the series that we've been doing. And let's start with 1 Samuel chapter 10. Again, this is not the main passage, but I'm just going over chapter 10 and 11. Chapter 11 is a new reading that we're going to be doing today, but I'm not going to focus too much in the story, but more on the importance and the lessons that we can learn from this story. Let's just be reminded and go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22 to 27. It says this, So they inquire further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So as a preview from last week, they're trying to introduce the new king, Saul, who's to be the king, and then he is what? Hiding in the supplies. Verse 23, They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? 
There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Let's continue on to chapter 11, verse 1. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jebesh Gilead. And all the men of Jebesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nabash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the eye of every one of you and bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the man of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. Can we turn to our neighbor and say anger? Anger. Verse 7, he took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 3,000, and those of Judah 30,000, they told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you'll be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Amen. Again, when anger comes, sin not. I want to talk to you guys about righteous anger. Okay, righteous indignation. It's a teaching that we learn that anger is actually to be angry is not sin. Righteous indignation, righteous anger means this. Anger that is grieved by sin and evil. I'll say it again. Anger that arouses, the anger that is grieved by evil and sin. Anger towards anything that blasphemes and attacks the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So anything that offends or attacks our Lord Jesus Christ, the holiness of God, we are led to righteous anger. For example, people mocking the name of God. 
We talked about the individual. I think his name was Representative Emmanuel Cleaver. But what did he say in that prayer? What did he say? In the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, Amen and a woman. Those are kind of things that we see when we hear about things in the news. When it offends the name of God, it offends the holiness of God. Not that God needs our defense, not that He needs our help. But when we hear the things of God, when the things that break the heart of God, when it destroys and when it attacks the holiness of God, we are filled with righteous anger. Again, important to note, anger is not sin. But are we sinning in our anger? Let's take a look at verse 6. Again, the reference is 1 Samuel 11, verse 6. When Samuel heard their words, the Spirit of God, what? Came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. And I'm talking about righteous anger. As evil as Saul becomes later in the later chapters, we see that in the earlier days, when Saul was still humble, he was filled by the Spirit of God, and God used him for his work. God used him for his glory. And it says, when he heard all the wrongness of all the attacks that was happening to his people, it says the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with righteous anger. And Jesus, he exemplified over and over again that it is good to have righteous anger, to have righteous indignation. For example, in Mark chapter 3, it's funny because, and this was not planned, uh, Mark chapter 3, we just read Mark 2, right, uh, 27, uh, we just read it, 28, but it says, it's, it continues on, it's about the Sabbath, and it says that in Mark chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, the Pharisees here, they're testing Jesus to see if he would heal this man with a shriveled hand. They were testing to see if Jesus would heal this man on the day of Sabbath. And then it says that Jesus, he got angry in the story. Yes, and his righteous anger, his righteous indignation in this moment, in this instance, it was justified. It says, he looked around them in anger, verse 5, and deeply distressed. Right? His heart was grieved. It was broken at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Whenever you go ahead and you attack a situation, when a group of people, they're doing wrong things, and you come with righteous anger and you oppose the attack, whatever that they're doing, again, they're influenced by Satan, they're influenced by their evil nature of who they are. Again, if we're not in God, then the things that we do is rooted in the sinfulness and the nature of our sin. That's why it says in Psalm 1, do not step in the step of the wicked, Right? But we step away. We don't stand with them. We don't sit with them. We don't talk like them. But when you come and when you ever find yourself in a place, you go ahead and you stand up. 
Your righteous anger, it burns up and it comes. Righteous indignation, it comes out and you speak the truth. It is guaranteed that you will have enemies because they are of the world and you are not of the world. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. And it says it's important here in verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and what? Began to plot with the Herodians how they might what? Kill Jesus. Because Jesus was a man of righteous anger. Righteous anger brings about two results. A, positive. B, negative. And no, I'm not talking about blood type. A, positive here. B, positive. B, B negative. Is there a B, negative? No. There is, Randy? Okay, what's the personality of B negative? But there is B negative? No, I don't think so. Yeah. What's the personality of B? What's the personality of A? Isn't A like a little emotional? Led by emotion. B is like they have like a really strong like, like personality. Anyways, not talking about blood ties. Two results. Positive and negative. What are they? Letter A, it restores order. It restores order. Because you're bringing correction, order, and discipline. You know, when I was younger, uh, you know, churches are definitely different these days. I grew up in a generation where, um, like, you know, we love to, like, fall around. We go to retreats and, and lock-ins and you know, kids would like sneak out and like have a smoke and like kids would just do whatever and they just fall around, not sleep. And that's the kind of generation that I grew up in. And I remember we had this one guy, his name was Hoyne. I mean, he's, everybody was afraid of this guy. And there was another guy, his name was James. He was ex-Marine. And like, and I was like, how old was I? I was like in middle school or something like that, but throughout high school. And like he, they would tell us, right? They were like the, the leaders of there's like different houses and different places where you stay and I'm with my friends and they're having fun and, and, and they would literally tell you sleep at this time and then uh, like they tell you one time, two time and they three time and we're still not listening and then it was scary because this guy he was a scary dude and, and you would see him one time we were trying to sleep and we pretend like we're like is he there and then he his, his head was like right by the window staring at us looking at us and then he goes, tuk, tuk, and everybody, he says, come outside. And then he made us like do running, like dog walk, and crazy stuff. And, but you know what? Those are some of the things that taught me a lot because it brought order, and it brought correction. It brought discipline. And when we go ahead and we confront and we have righteous anger, it brings about order. It brings about discipline. But the negative thing that it also brings is that it creates enemies. You must expect people to oppose you. Haters. And you will attract haters. As Jesus attracted haters in here in chapter 3. Jesus, yes, he did the right thing. Yes, he burned with righteous anger. Yes, he restored the order of what was right. Yes, he brought discipline. But at the same time, enemies also came 
And it says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And we see it even in the reading that we did in 1 Samuel 11, right? It says there were valiant men. No, in chapter 10, it says there were valiant men whose hearts got touched, who also followed Paul, who, who also followed Saul, but there were also scoundrels who despised them and they brought him no gifts. So we see that it brings positive and also negative. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 45 to 48, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were what? Trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it. Because all the people hung on his words. And we see the same principle here. We saw it even in the Jesus skit, in the musical that we saw. Where Jesus, he flips the table, everything is slow motion. That's what we're talking about here in Luke chapter 19. People are selling, treating the house of God as a market. Something for their own personal gain. When we have lock-in, we sleep on the stage, we do whatever, we treat the building, the church, however we want, just like it's like our own room. And Jesus comes and he restores order. He flips the table. He's burned. He's burning with anger. And he tries to bring order into the house of God. And at the same time, there will always be those who are plotting and who are opposing. The people were trying to kill him, it says. The teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill Jesus. In other translation, another version in John chapter 2, the same story. It goes on, it says, In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. I mean, Jesus, he's making a whip now. He's making a weapon. Flipping tables, scattering all the money. You might think, oh, that's pretty bad. Like, why is Jesus acting this way? Why is Jesus wilding out? But it was because of the righteous anger, the righteous indignation. Verse 16, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Again, the title, In Your Anger, Sin not. Amen. Now let's go to the passage that we're going to stay on. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, if you could turn there, we also have it on the screen as well. But let's start with verse 26 to 27. So the first reading is verse 26 to 27. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Other translation says, don't sin by letting anger control you. 
Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. It means do not give the devil an opportunity to entice you, to, to take hold of your heart, and to take hold of your life. And it goes on. Let's go to verse 29, Ephesians 4, verse 29 to 32. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What does it remind us? To get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So in your anger, in your anger, number one, sin not. Sin not. I'm going to focus on going to bed angry, ending the day, your day. And I'm going to be very, I'm going to get very practical here today. Uh, it's very important that as Christians, as Christian, as holy men and women of God, that you and I, we do not go to bed angry. Okay, it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. If we go to bed angry, we get into a fight or we are upset and we just go to bed angry, not confronting the conflict, it's like you're sleeping with your front door open. I heard a pastor say, the analogy he gave was, would you sleep with your front door open and go to bed at night? That's like saying, thieves, strangers, please come inside. And that's what happens. When we go to bed angry, we, allow, we open the door of our heart. We allow the devil to have an opportunity to take a hold of our lives. You are allowing Satan to take a full hold in your life, meaning he will have power and hold over you. Therefore, we must not, and it's very important, we must not let the day end without resolving that conflict. If possible, and it's always possible, again, if it's done with humility and with Christ, it's always possible. But it's very important that we do not go to bed angry, in anger, or else you are giving the devil a foothold. Letter A so point A, always end the day with peace. Why? Because each day is so precious. I'll say it again. Each day is so precious. It might not be precious to you because you are young and you have life. You're full of energy. But visit the hospital. Visit the places where these individuals, they have a day left to live. Or in a hospice, they have months left to live. They don't know when tomorrow is going to, what's going to happen tomorrow. When that day, each day, each moment is so precious with their loved ones. If we remind ourselves that each day is God-ordained, then we must always end the day with peace. Not out of frustration, not out of anger. We must not sleep on it. People always say, sleep on it, and you'll feel better in the morning but we must go to God. We must go to God and allow the peace of God to come upon us right now in that very moment. Or else the devil will come 
and entice us, it will destroy your life and your relationships. Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day. Today is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And it goes on and on. For I will uh, d -d -d tomorrow trust in what you say. Today is the day. And it goes on, right? Today is the day, Psalm 118, that the Lord... Oh, by the way, we're singing that song next week. It's an intro, intro song. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow. This, right now, today. Today is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day that he has given to us. Therefore, let us rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always. Not tomorrow, not in the future, but right now. Always means now. Right now, as you're reading it. Right now. On June 13, 2021. Right now, rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Letter A, always end the day with peace. Letter B, for tomorrow is not guaranteed to any one of us. The Bible gives us clear instructions, clear warning about boasting about tomorrow. This Friday, we're going to go on our bicycle trip. We're going to be going to our fellowship that we haven't done in a long time. Yes, we get excited. Yes, we look forward to it. But do you know that it is not guaranteed because it has not happened yet? Tomorrow, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It says in James 4, 13 to 17, boasting about tomorrow, it says, Now listen, you say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Do not boast. There's too much boasting. There's too many boasting. If you look at social media, no one will boast about their hard days. They'll only boast when they get a new car, when they get a new promotion. Boasting, boasting, boasting. Boasting about tomorrow. Arrogance, pride. Your days are numbered. You're nothing but a smoke that will vanish here today and gone tomorrow. Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now, now is the day of salvation. He says, today is the day of salvation, it says, NLT translation. Today is a day of salvation. So in your anger, sin not. A, always end the day with peace. B, for tomorrow is not guaranteed. Amen. Point number two, in your anger, revenge not. Revenge not. 
Let's all take our pen to the neighbor and go, revenge. Come on. <laughs> and then not. <laughs> Just kidding. Revenge, not. In our anger, revenge, not. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Starting from verse 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Focusing on verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I pray that Romans 12, this passage here, remind us today to not fall in the rabbit hole of seeking revenge because it will never end. It will be John Wick 1, John Wick 2, John Wick 3, John Wick 4, John Wick 5, Rodney beyond 1, 2, 3, 4. The revenge, it will never satisfy. You must let go and allow God to avenge on your behalf. As Christian men and women of God, we never seek revenge. Justice, yes. Justice comes by submitting ourselves to God and allowing God to take control and to bring order in our lives. So letter A, pursue God's justice. Letter B, pursue God's peace. Again, letter A, pursue God's justice. B, pursue God's peace. Again, in prayer, in Christ. In your anger, revenge not. Pursue God's justice. Pursue God's peace. Psalm 4, verse 4. This is ESV translation. It says this, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. What is Selah? Whenever you're reading Proverbs or Psalms, whenever you... Whenever you're reading Psalms, I'm sorry, not in Proverbs. Whenever you're reading Psalms, and when you see the word Selah, some translations have it, some translations don't. But when you see the word Selah, it means stop and pause and reflect and meditate. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. This sounds awfully familiar to what we just read, Ephesians chapter 4, to not go to bed angry. Because if you do, we are allowing the devil to take a full hold. It says, do not go to bed angry. Do not end the day with anger, but with peace. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts. At the end of the day, when you had a long day, be silent before God and pray. NLT transition says, same thing. Chapter 4, verse 4. Don't sin by letting anger control you. 
Think about it overnight and remain silent. Interlude, which also means pause. Selah, meditate. Do not be overcome by feelings of rage and anger to the point where you lose self-control, for that is not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control. Anger is not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Remain silent. Don't sin by letting anger control your life. Too many people lose themselves, especially when they're on the road, road rage. I mean, these things are real. Uh, you know, allowing our anger to dictate. You know, anger, the Greeks say it's the strongest emotion that we have. And we must really keep that in check. Our anger, we must sin not. And what is point number two? Revenge not. Amen. Pursue God's justice. Pursue God's peace. Amen. Point number three, last point. In your anger, speak not. This is actually very important. Speak not. Speak not. We see in the example uh, where Jesus, he is... Um, you know, being accused here in chapter 3 with the people and with the shriveled man, the hand, and uh, Jesus, he doesn't even really talk with them. You know, he just says, stand up in front of everyone, and then he asks them a question, and then he goes ahead and he does it. Uh, Usually when we're angry, uh, we are led to shout, we are led to scream, we are led to uh, lash out. But we are, it's very, it's an important reminder to speak not. I'm talking about rashly, recklessly, carelessly, foolishly, thoughtlessly, lashing out, being careful. Again, in your anger, speak not. So point letter A, quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Speak not quickly. Many times when we're provoked and we are led to anger or are angry, We are too quick to lash out with our words and with our actions. But it's an important reminder to speak slowly. It says in James 1, 19 to 21, again, we're being very practical here in today's message. We are still continuing the Saul series. This is still the story of Saul. And you will see I will connect it at the end about him remaining silent in chapter 10. I'm going to connect it all together. But it's a very practical message today. Again, speak now quickly. But it says in James 1, 19 to 21, it says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James 1, 26, NLT, it says this, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself 
and your religion is worthless. And I see a lot more of people who are not Christians, people who are of different faith, controlling their tongue, controlling their anger. They're more patient than Christians can ever be. Again, speak not A, quickly. Let it be foolishly. Foolishly. Why? Because there's much power in our words. Don't let foolish talk come out of your mouth. Because there's power in your words. It says in Proverbs 18 to 21, the tongue has a power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. That's why you'll see a huge difference in a child, especially teachers who teach young students who grew up in an abusive home. You'll see their confidence has a lot to do with the words that the parents say to the child or the lack of the words that they say to the child. If it's just abusive words of death and destruction, of cutting your child from the knees and constantly just degrading them and bringing them down, then it will be a death for that child. But if you continue to speak, even plans, right? You speak life. You don't go to a plan, you go death, 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 death. And then you'll literally die, I think. Even animals, they understand. But human beings, how much more, how important it is to not speak foolishly. Because there's life and power in your words. You know, James is a good reference for you in the future if you ever want to learn more about your words, the things that come out of your mouth. But James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 3 to 11, it says, When we put bits in the mouth, it's giving examples of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And I remember this message because I remember speaking to uh, the little kids, Chodungbu, and I remember when I did a message on this, I always do a message on tongue because kids can be very mean, right? Kids can be very, oh man, there, there, there are times where I'm like, what? What is wrong? I remember one time the senior pastor's son was like, you know who my dad is? I'm going to make him kick you out. They're going to, I could destroy you, destroy your family. You know, you better listen to me. And I walked in, I was like, what? I made him do push ups. <laughs> And then he was like sweating, trying to be tough. And those instances have happened a lot over the years. But I remember teaching them, and it's so important. You know, what we say, what we do with our hands is so crucial. And I teach them at a young age. And I, and I always go back to this passage in John chapter 3. You put bits in the mouths of horses, right? If you ever ride a horse, you control them what? You control them by the ear? Hold them by the ear. <laughs> you hold them by the ear or the hair. Where do you control them? The bit. You put it by the mouth and you, you whisper. You're like left, right. Go straight. You always say, and it listens and it goes. <laughs> you control by the mouth. The bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey the mouth. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. We watch Titanic. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go, your tongue is like the rudder. It's not the engine, it's the rudder. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, 
but it makes such great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's, one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we can praise our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising, praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. I'm going to do something different. Uh, Ronnie, can you come up here? You can put your Bible down. I'm going to take the mask off. Oh, camera, yeah. <laughs> come, come up. Can you introduce yourself? Hello, I am Rodney. Ronnie, all of us here will give you $100. Here. Ready? If you can do this. Put that in your pocket. Okay. With your right hand, this is going to be the, the trigger, okay? Finger. And then your left hand is where you're going to receive the shaving cream, okay? Okay, go ahead. And put a good amount, the way you put uh, whipped cream into your pancake. Good enough so people can see. Yeah. Good. Keep going. Keep going. That's good. That's good. Okay. Now, we'll each give you $100 if you can put the shaving cream back into the bottle. Come on. Put it back in. You could open the cap too if you want. Yes. Oh, you did it. Okay, put it in. <laughs> What came out? Were you able to take it back? No. Okay, good. Thank you. Someone please give him a... <laughs> give him a shaver. <laughs> take a shave. You can shave his sideburns. <laughs> Thank you, Ronnie. I remember I did this analogy with the kids, and they all had fun with it. They were actually like... And they start like make they start putting on their face, start twinning their hair, they start like like clowning around. But I'm pretty sure they will never forget the analogy, right? Because Yeah, it's good. Just take Yeah. I think he needs more. Let's just give him the whole paper towel in the back. So we learn in James chapter 3 and we learn in Proverbs 18 that there is power in our tongue in what we speak, in what we say. That your tongue, the mouth, is the most corrupt part in our body. Therefore, we must be very careful what comes out of our mouths. There can't be praises to God and at the same time cursing to our fellow brothers and sisters. Yes, we are not perfect. Yes, we will. 
There are times we will, and, and we will. It's guaranteed we will. Especially when we're filled with our human emotions. Yes, we will. But you need to be reminded that once those words come out of your mouth, you cannot take it back. You cannot put it back inside. And every word that we speak is recorded. And God knows and God sees. That is why it is an important reminder to us to not speak foolishly. Amen? It says in Proverbs 17, 27 to 28, a truly wise person uses what? Few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. You want to look smart among your friends or in a group setting? Just do what Tony and Hiji does a lot. They don't understand, but they stay quiet. And just do this and pretend like you understand. And like, oh, they're really smart. But I know all the time, every time I know that they don't get it. KP is included also. But we have guys like Andy and Ronnie and other guys here. Our guys are pretty witty and they understand. They're able to understand what's happening. There are times where we're playing board games and you can tell that they don't understand. They still don't understand. They still pretend. But it's okay. We cover for you because we love you. Again, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Job 13, verse 5, it says, If only you would be altogether silent. Remember what he told his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar? Do you remember what he told them? As they were speaking, they stayed with him for seven days silently. But once they started op- opening their mouths, once they started speaking, Job got frustrated. He says, If only you altogether, if you would be silent, for you that would be wisdom. Wisdom means few words. Don't speak too much. 1 Samuel 10, 26 to 27. Again, I'm going back to the passage that I read, to the Samuel story. 1 Samuel chapter 10, it says, verse 26 to 27. Saul also went to his home in Gilbeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrel said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Now, we don't know for sure exactly what Saul, his intention or his heart was when he stayed silent. Again, there were people who supported him, right? It says in verse 26, there were valiant men whose hearts God had touched. There were people that supported him. It's not like everybody... They were his enemies. Valiant means brave, noble individuals. But verse 27 reminds us that but some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him, brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Why did Saul keep silent? That's the question. As I'm reading this, I'm wondering, was Saul being humble like Proverbs 17 even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. Was he wise? Why was Saul being so humble in this moment? 
And the conclusion that I came to was maybe he held it in. Maybe he held it in plotting for the right moment, thinking, you don't know who I am, who I'm going to be, a king. Right moment to destroy. Either he was humble or the latter. He was plotting and he was waiting. And it was a fake sense of being silent. Not godly silence, but bitterness. Things that bottle up. And we do this often. A lot of times, when things happen to us, we stay silent. And then we... (laughs) What am I looking at? We allow bitterness to, you know, I don't think that way, by the way. Okay, I don't, okay. We allow it to just bottle up and and let it grow. And bitterness and pretending, we're play acting like we're humble to disguise or conceal one's real nature. Concealing behind a fake appearance. Thinking that we have righteous anger. Proverbs 17 says, even a fool is thought wise, if they stay silent, okay. But deep inside, we're bottling up like scar. Wait till I'm king. Wait. Be very careful of those. And if this is you, be very careful. Those who pretend, who give you pretend smiles and false humility. The image and the act of humility. It's like that movie Shilmido that we watched. There are people who will be kind to you. They give smiles. But in the end, they'll be the one to stab you and hurt you. For that person is hiding behind that fake smile. But they have eyes of a murder. They have already targeted their prey. And in their eyes, they have already committed murder in their minds and in their hearts and their thoughts how do they do that they go behind your back they start spreading rumors about you they start gossiping about you again words have power of life and death it says life and death we talked about in proverbs 18 we talked about in james chapter 3 they go ahead and they spread gossip rumors They bring others and they speak against you behind your back. And the question is, and with today's message, when anger comes, sin not. The question is, what will we do? How will I live? How will you live? When we are filled with anger, will we sin? Will we lash out? Will we attack Will I avenge, seek revenge, or will I submit and allow God to avenge for me? And we can see clearly, Saul, that he was a man that was filled with jealousy, insecurity, and his heart, his mind had already murdered David. And you're going to learn as we get to David soon. We're getting there soon in a few chapters you'll see the difference between David and Saul. Saul, it says in chapter 10, that he remained silent. But I don't think it was him being humble and 
know, trying to be a good man. I believe that he was bottling it all up. Because one day, once I become king, these fools, these scoundrels, they will not be able to touch me and I will destroy them. So the question again, will we sin, will we attack, will I avenge, or will I submit and allow God to avenge for me? Will I allow the spirit of God, the spirit of peace to come on me? Let us surrender and choose the latter and allow the spirit of God to take control of our lives and humble ourselves and that when we are led to anger, that we will sin not. Amen? Amen. Let's invite the praise team to come up. Closing with this. Romans 12 again reminds us, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it. Ponder it in your own hearts and on your beds and remain silent before the living God. Selah. So right now at this moment, as we reflect on today's message, can we just turn to God? Can we just turn to Him with humility? And let's just make that choice today to surrender ourselves to Him and to allow the spirit of peace the Spirit of God to give us peace, to strengthen us that we will not be led by our emotions, by our, by our carnal behaviors, but by the Spirit of God, not by our f- flesh, but by the Spirit of God that is in us and allow the Spirit of God to lead our very step. The words that we speak, the actions that we take, let us just submit ourselves to Him and humble ourselves to Him this very morning. Let us pray together. you to all stand to your feet and 
we're gonna sing give us clean hands and as we're singing let it not just be another song music that we're singing but let it be our prayer and our cry before God Lord we bow our hearts we bend our knees oh spirit come make us humble we turn our eyes from evil things oh Lord we cast down our idols so Lord give us clean hands and a pure heart let us not lift our souls to another another idol oh God give us clean hands and a pure heart and let us be a generation that seeks that seeks your face oh God let's sing together we bow our hearts we bow our hearts we bend our knees oh spirit come make us humble we turn our Yeah. 
your face, oh God of Jacob. Lord, let us be a generation that seeks your face. Even if this generation chooses to reject you and to live in the rebellion, Lord, I, our church, even if it's only me that is lifting up my hands and worship, God, I will seek your face. For God, you are my God, you are my Lord, and you are my King. So God, give us clean hands and a pure heart, O oh God, and a steadfast spirit, a continuing pouring of your spirit each and every single day. Let us not lift our worship, our hands to any other but you, O oh God. Clean hands and a pure heart that we may cast down our idols, that we'll turn from our evil ways, and God, that we'll humble ourselves and seek you today. In your sin, in your anger, in our anger, sin not, sin not. Pursue him, seek him. Allow the Spirit of God to sanctify you and to transform you today and forevermore. Lord, we pray all these things in your precious Son. Pray all these things in the name above all names. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this Sabbath day and for blessing us with this space and with the message delivered to us through Reverend Andrew this morning. Lord, we pray for the humility never to sin in our anger. We choose not to be controlled by our anger or our bitterness, for this allows the devil to get a foothold of our hearts, but rather we choose to be joyful in every moment, for each day is a precious gift from you. Lord, we desire to remain silent and to never hinder others through our words spoken in our anger, but we submit to you and we seek your justice and your peace always. At this time, we lift up this offering to you and pray that it may be pleasing to you and be used to further your works and your glory. Please continue to watch over each of our members and protect them and their families this week. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>